in the last 22 years. And we talked about that last week. That would have been in 2002. That's how long this has been, 22 years from, from today. Joseph was beloved by his dad so much that he was chosen over all of the other 11 brothers. Reuben had sinned and he had lost his, his birthright. And, and Joseph was given this birthright, even if he was the youngest and did not deserve it, did not earn it in that way. And to be able to show everybody, all the brothers, that this was true, um, his father gave him the coat of many colors that we've been talking about for, for our whole lives. And the boys didn't like it. They hated Joseph because of that. And we see that, that what they did was they wanted to get rid of Joseph, so they sold him into slavery to some guys on their way to Egypt. And they took that coat of many colors and covered it in blood and took it back to their dad and told him that he must have been eaten by a bunch of wild animals and Joseph's dead. He's gone. And we know that Joseph was sold from there to Potiphar and he worked in Potiphar's house and he worked so hard and, and did such a great job that in just a few days, just in a short time, Potiphar made him ruler over his house. Everything that happened in his house was under the control of Joseph. But Potiphar's wife lied on Joseph and falsely accused him. And Joseph was thrown in prison. But when he got into prison, he worked hard and he was blessed by God. And in just a short period of time, he began running. He took run of the whole prison just like he took run of Potiphar's house. And then you have the, the um, butler and the, and the chief bottle washer. It wasn't him. It was the other guy, the baker, um, who had a dream. And he interpreted those dreams and it came true, exactly what Joseph said. And, and he said, how can I repay you? He said, just remember me. Remind Pharaoh of me when you get there that I'm here in prison and I went out of this place. Of course, the guy gets out of prison and he goes and he forgets Joseph. Poor Joseph. Every relationship he's had in is horrible. His brothers sold him. The slave owners sold him. Then Potiphar's wife lied against him and, and, and bore false witness against him. And he ended up in jail. And now the people that he helped forgot about him. And Joseph was just in a bad situation, suffering after suffering after suffering. But then in two years, Pharaoh has a dream. And in that dream, he wants, he can't understand it, but he wants that dream to be interpreted. And what happens? The baker remembers. There's a guy, a Jewish man in jail who knows how to do this. And he tells Pharaoh, and Pharaoh sends for him. And uh, Joseph says, I cannot interpret your dreams. I don't have that power, but I know a guy. God is able to tell you what these dreams mean. And he told Pharaoh exactly what it was in, meant. And ends up that no longer is he the head of Potiphar's house. No longer is he head of the prison. It turns out now he's head of Egypt. 
He's in charge of it all. And his brothers are in Canaan, hungry. Why? Because the famine has started. And God has allowed Joseph to collect all this food for the last seven years. And he has this bank of food to help people. Ready to, to, to sell for anyone that's hungry. So here comes his brothers. And he gets to see his brothers for the first time in 22 years. And we see last week, now this week, I want you to see that that the moment of truth is finally here. 22 years in the working, God had this worked out from the very, very beginning. The Bible says in Psalms 31, verse 14, but as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. But look in verse 15. My times are in your hand. My times are in your hand. You know what the psalmist is saying right there? My life was, my life is, and my life will always be in the hand of the Lord. And that, to me, is a principle that we need to leave his house with today. There has never been a time that your life and my life was not in the hands of the Lord, that he had control of this situation the whole entire time. It was hard for Joseph to understand. How could God be in, the, in control of my life when I'm in a, bottom, in a pit? How could God be in control of my life when my own brothers sold me into slavery? How can God be hold of my life have me in his hands when I've been lied on and falsely accused? How can God be in control of my life when everybody's forgotten me and neglected me and left me here to die in this place? It took 22 years, 22 years for Joseph to figure out that his life had always been and always will be in God's hands. The question for me and you today is how long is it going to take us to figure that out? How long is it going to take us to figure out that God's been in control this whole entire time? So where we're at today in Genesis chapter 45 is we're going to start off with the big reveal. Man, how many of y'all just love these, this new thing that we have at reveal parties? You know, these, these are awesome, ain't they? I saw one other day, a jet flew by and revealed to them if it was a boy or girl. I just want to know what that cost to the United States government right there. <laughs> you know, I, we're get, it's getting out of hand now that, that we're doing all these re, people blowing things up, pink stuff flying everywhere, purple, blue stuff flying everywhere. You know, back in the day, who was in charge of reveal parties in, in Louisa, Kentucky? Dr. Edwards. It's a boy. That was your reveal party right there. That was it. There was no smoke, nothing else involved. It was just Dr. Edwards telling you what it was, what you is, what you ain't. You know, that's what it is. And that was the reveal party. But here we see the big reveal. 
Read with me in Genesis chapter 45, verses 1 through 4. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept out loud, and the Egyptians in the house of the Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Joseph could not stand it anymore. He had all that he could stand. All this time, he had been holding back from taking hold of his brothers. Joseph couldn't hold back any longer. He was about to bust. He cried out, maybe in Aramaic, to all of the, the Egyptians that were standing around him, to everybody to get out. This was just with him and his family. And he wept out loud, the Bible says. And he said, I am Joseph. And he asked the question, is my dad still alive? Joseph could speak to the place where he could reveal himself to his brothers. And he asked, and he tells them, I'm Joseph. Is my brother, is my father still alive? He could speak, but the brothers were shook to the core. And they could not muster up speech to be able to respond to what he has said. The brothers were shocked to the core. How, how could they not be? Can you imagine what they were thinking? If a thief has the biggest worry of a thief is that someone's going to steal something from him. The biggest worry of a person who mistreats other people is that someone's going to mistreat them. So they, brothers who have mistreated their brother, their biggest worry is now that their brother is going to mistreat them. So here he has revealed himself to them. I'm Joseph. Is my dad still alive? I'm Joseph. I'm the one you sold in to slavery into Egypt. They could not muster up speech. Oh no, what is he going to do to us? Are we going to get what we deserve? Are we going to be treated the way that we treated him? Has our roosters finally come home to roost? Is this it for us? And what Joseph did, listen, he called them a little bit closer. I imagine in their mind, they're like, hey, let's, that's, this is close enough right here. They was afraid that, that Joseph was going to put hands on them. That, that they, he was going to treat them like he treated, he had, they had treated him. But he reminded them, 
that he was the one who was sold as if those brothers have forgotten what they have done. The secret was no more. The secret was out of the bag. It had been revealed. Let me share this with you. Once that secret has been revealed, it cannot be brought back and be unrevealed. It is already out of the bag. It cannot be placed back in the bag again. There's no way that they can go back from this or stop this or get out of this situation. Now they are held accountable. He's Joseph, um, the one we sold into slavery. It had been revealed to them who he was. And I want to stop right there and just preach for a second. To all of us here today, it has been revealed to us who Jesus Christ is. It has been revealed to me and you that Jesus Christ is a savior of this world and that he died on the cross for our sins. And whoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That has been revealed to me and that has been revealed to you. You cannot say, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I don't want to hear it. I, I refuse um, to even listen to that. I'm sorry, but it has been revealed to you who Christ is. You can't come back from that. Amen. You have to say yes to Christ and believe upon him, or you have to say no to Christ and reject him. There's no other option that exists for you. That's where Joseph was. He revealed to them who he was, but after he made that revelation, he could not go back to a, a Egyptian that had no connection to his brothers. And the brothers could not go back to him being Egyptian and him not have any connection to them. So it has been revealed who he is. So now they're held accountable. And they're at the mercy of Joseph. They're standing there at the mercy of Joseph. The secret was no more. It had been revealed. But listen to what, G, what Joseph does. The big reveal turns into the big reassurance. Reassurance. Read with me in verses 5 through 8 of Genesis 45. But now, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land, and there are still five in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting, and God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his house and the ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Joseph had a choice to do what he wanted. But what he wanted to do was to encourage his brothers. He saw they were scared for their lives. Instead of letting them stew in misery, because they deserved to stew in misery, 
he reassured them that this was all in God's plan. This was not you who did this to me. That's what Joseph said. But God, God is the one who did this to me so that I could save your lives. Do you realize something here? We want to stop for a second. It took 22 years for Joseph to get to this place in his life. He was went through suffering after suffering after suffering. And he finally has realized, so now it was not you, my brothers, who sent me here, but it was God. And God had this plan worked out from the very, very beginning. Yes, they had done wrong and they were guilty, but God had it in under his control the whole entire time. In Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20 says this, but as for you, his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. I love that verse because this is the Old Testament version of Romans chapter 8. And verse 28, Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that all things work to good together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. How long is it going to take for me and you to realize that God has allowed us to go through what we went through to save the lives of many? To point people to Jesus Christ, to be able to be a minister of reconciliation, to help people make peace with the holy, holy God. And we see that Joseph is saying, rest assured. It was in God's hands all this time. And church, this morning Jesus is saying, just like Joseph, and he said, be of good cheer. Don't be grieved. And listen to who Jesus Christ is saying. He's saying, come unto me, all you are heavy, laden, and burdened, and I will give you rest. Rest assured that it is all in the hands of the Lord today. And it has always been that way. Praise be to his holy, holy name. But after you have that big reveal... And then you come in and you see that big assurance that he, he tells them, you know what, this is not you, this is not on you, this is God that's doing this. Then there's a big relocation coming. I don't know about you, but if we could take a poll really quick, is there any, any, any person in this room who loves to move? Like move homes. I've never met anybody. I've met energetic people. I've met people who, man, love to do workouts and, and love to, to run and all this stuff, you know, marathons and, and whatever you call these other things that mentally, mental people do, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, uh, they, they love doing that. But then if you tell someone, hey, let's pack up this house and throw it in the back of a U-Haul, 
And you're like, no, I don't feel like it. You know what I mean? We just don't like to do that, do we? Why? Because we're comfortable where we're at. And we don't want to move into a place that we've never been before. Even though we may even be anxious to move out one day, we're still worried about what that's going to be like when we move from where we've always been to where someplace we've never been. So we're going to see this big relocation that's coming in Jacob and Israel, Israel's life. The Bible says in verses 9 through 13 as we, as we follow along, and I want you to notice the word hurry. And you're saying, well, I want you to notice it, Chuck. <laughs> see, I, I knew what you were thinking right there. Verse 9 says, hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near to me and you and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty for there are still five years of famine. And behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. So you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and of all that you have seen. And you shall hurry and bring my father down here. Hurry is used twice. And I love that word hurry because you probably had to use it this morning coming to church. You're like, let's get a go on. Right, right, right. Hurry up, chop, chop. Let, let, let's get moving. Let's, let's do this and, and, and shake, shake a leg. You know, all these things that we use. We like to get people moving. But what was Joseph excited about? He was excited about seeing his dad. His dad that he loved and who had loved him, he had not seen him in over 22 years. Finally, Joseph was going to see his father. They were going to have to give the good news to their father that Joseph was alive. And that Joseph wanted them all to move to the land of Goshen, bring everything they got, the kids and the kids' kids, all their livestock, and Joseph would provide for them and protect them because the famine had, it was only two years in and it had five more years of famine. And he knew that his family would starve to death if he had not been there to provide for them. But the brothers had been living comfortably in their sin for 22 years. They had gotten used to that life. They had told that lie and lived that lie and it was part of who they were. But now, even though they have discovered that they are not going to be killed by Joseph, but now they're going to go back to Canaan to their dad and, and tell him the truth of what happened that Joseph, Joseph is alive. And I imagine at the beginning of the, of the story when they went back and told 
Jacob, that at the beginning, it was all happiness and, and joy because his son is still alive. But there had to be a time when they told the truth of the situation. And listen, people, from the bottom of my heart, that's what keeps so many people from the Lord today. They don't want to move from where they're at to where he's calling them to be. They live more comfortably in the sin without any responsibility of worshiping God or, or trusting the Lord. But God's calling you out of that place to a new place where he is going to provide for you, give you not just life, but life more abundantly. So why in the world would someone rather live in a nasty life of death when God is calling them to come out of death unto life? Why would you want to live in darkness when Christ is calling you out of darkness unto life? So we see here this great relocation that these men had to come out of their comfort zone, their sinful life that they had been lying for the last 22 years and they had to repent and they had to stand up and say, you know what, I made a mistake, but I've been forgiven. And I don't want to live in that way anymore, but I want to live the way that God has for me to live bring honor and glory to God. God wants to move us today. He loves us just like we are, but he loves us enough that he does not want us to stay just as we are. That he begins that work in you and changes us to be like his son, Jesus Christ. The big move was hard on everybody but it was the best move they could make. The move of salvation that God's calling you to today, it's not an easy decision, but it's a decision will be the best of your life. To come out of that life of sin and darkness and into life and light to walk with Jesus. And then why do you do that? Because of the big reconciliation. Read with me in verses 14 and 15. At this time, Bubbies are all still scared. Still worried of how this is going to happen. They still are not speaking. Listen to verse 14. Then he fell, Joseph. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And after that, his brothers um, talked with him. You know, some of you guys are all huggy, touchy, filly. And I'm just so proud of you. You know what I'm saying? I am. I'm so tickled pink for every one of you. Um, I, I, I don't know why, but her, uh, that stuff come, doesn't come natural for me. That, that's a little bit um, di more difficult for me than it is for, for other people. There's some of you all that are, I think you'd hug the devil. I really do. 
You just hug about anybody. You know what I'm saying? You're huggers, and I love that. And I'm glad you guys exist, You're, and I love that. I'm like, I'm the side hugger of the family. You know what I'm saying? That's who I am. Um, I don't know why. I guess something happened to me in my life. I don't know. But 22 years, how many people has Joseph hugged? Nobody. Everybody in his family sold him off, forgot about him, lied about him, lied on him, ran from him, didn't want to have anything to do with him, forgot about him. I mean, he was distant from everybody. And he didn't have a good relationship, nowhere. I mean, he struggled. He hadn't hugged anybody for 22 years. And I love what happens here. He falls on the neck of Benjamin, his blood brother, and hugs him and kisses him. And then he goes to each one of his brothers and hugs and kisses them. And what does the Bible say? They started what? They started talking. They, they, started, they started talking. It wasn't time for explanations. It wasn't time for excuses, trying to explain why we did this or, or make excuses of why we did this or what we were thinking. There wasn't time for explanations. It was not time for excuses, but it was time for love and forgiveness. And that's what Joseph did. He embraced his brothers and kissed them. They all wept. Snot was flying everywhere. <laughs> the sin has been dealt with and forgiveness has been given. Finally, the moment of truth. But forgiveness was possible because Joseph had suffered and triumphed. Joseph suffered in the pit. He suffered in slavery. He suffered in the prison. He suffered when people lied on him and forgot about him and neglected him. But yet he, he went every time from being over Potiphar's house, over the prison, and now he is over Egypt. And he is supplying food for every living creature on the face of the earth at the time. He's in charge. Listen what happened. He went from suffering to triumph. And in that triumph, his greatest victory was forgiving his brothers for selling him into slavery. And I want you to see the connection today. That Jesus' Jesus's forgiveness of my sins and your sins is made possible because of the suffering of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That while he was without spot, without blemish, while he never made a mistake, what he did was he died for us all who had made mistakes 
who did have spots and who did have blemishes. He died on the cross for our sins. And the Bible says that they buried him in the borrowed tomb. And the reason they placed him in jo the, the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, borrowed that tomb, was simply this. He only needed it for a couple of days. And according to the scriptures, that stone was rolled away. And Christ victoriously resurrected from the grave. Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? It's been swallowed up by Jesus Christ, our Lord. Our forgiveness comes through the suffering of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When he was in the garden of Gethsemane and he prayed, Lord, if it be your will, this cup pass from me. It was not the Lord's will. And that cup was the suffering of the sins of my sins and your sins. And Christ suffered on that cross today. But he rose again the third day victorious over death. And today our sins can be forgiven because of what Christ did for us upon the cross in his death and his burial and his resurrection. My question for you today is this. Do you recognize Jesus Christ? How would you recognize Jesus Christ? Most of us would struggle with this because most of us believe he would look like the guy that Michelangelo thought he may look like that's on many paintings. But we don't know what that would be true. We know that would not be true. But I want to remind you of a story of a, of a guy named, um, I can't even remember his name now, Cleopas. Cleo, how do you say that word? Cleopas, Cleopas, Cleopas. Help me somebody. Cleo, we we'll call him Cleo. <laughs> if you're going to have a baby boy, Cleo may be a good name for you to choose. But Cleo and his buddy, after on the day of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, was walking to Emmaus. And as they were walking to Emmaus, they were holding a discussion of the events of the day, of the weekend, of the of the, the trial. That was wrong uh, of the res of the crucifixion. That was wrong of the having to bury Jesus, which was wrong. And, and they were just talking about this as they were walking on this seven-mile journey to Emmaus. But then there's a guy that just shows up right beside of them and asks, "What you guys talking about?" And and the guys looked at Jesus, we know to be Jesus, and says, what do you mean? Have you been living under a rock? Are you the only person that don't know what's going on in all of Jerusalem? And they share with them what's happening. And Jesus listens. And if you want to just sit there and think about that for a second, that's hilarious. If you don't think Jesus has a good sense of humor, you're missing the point. I mean, can you imagine on your day, you, the weekend you die, you get a walk with two of your buddies. 
Well, yeah, what are y'all talking about? Oh, we've lost our best friend. Well, did you really like him? <laughs> Didn't he get on your nerves just a little bit? You know what I'm saying? You could ask like questions like that, you know. But Jesus is walking right on the side of him and, he, and, he, and he's talking back. And listen to what he does. He, he corrects him. He corrects him. And he says, you guys should have known this whole entire story because he has told you multiple times that he is going to do this. But you just didn't pay attention to the prophets. You didn't pay attention to the, to the, the scriptures. You didn't pay attention. And you know these two guys are like saying, who does this guy think he is? You know, they're, they're, you know, they're just going back and forth and talking and they didn't recognize Jesus. And we, we get, they get to maybe Emmaus or right before Emmaus and, and, they, and, and they sit down to eat. And Jesus sits down and he picks up a loaf of bread and he blessed it. And he broke it. And he gave it to them. At that moment when he gave it to them, then their eyes were open and they recognized him. We recognize Christ today in the breaking of the bread. You know Christ today because of him breaking the bread and revealing to you what he's done for you on the cross of Calvary. Jesus is a friend to sinners. He reveals himself to us. He reassures us that he has this in his hands. He relocates us from darkness unto light. And listen what he does. He reconciles us to a holy God. There was only one chance of me and you ever having peace with God. And his name is Jesus. And he reconciles us to a holy, holy God. Today we recognize Jesus because of what he has done for us. Now, when Jesus looks down on me, he does not see every mistake I've ever made. He don't see my shortcomings. When God looks down on me, he does not see my problems, my sins. When God looks down on me, he sees the blood of Jesus that covers me and my unrighteousness. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That's how.